What's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked on Vikings. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And if you don't like podcast apps or scrolling through unwieldy playlists, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. And today we are continuing with roster week. Uh, I know this is kind of a drawn out way of going through a 53-man roster, but I think it warrants a lot of discussion because a lot of these decisions kind of have a lot less to do with how much you believe in a player and kind of just have to do with the circumstances surrounding that player. And, and you know, a lot of that is why we did the 90-man series as well. So today... Uh, yesterday we did the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the running backs, kind of the, the fantasy football positions, if you will. Uh, and today we are going to do the trenches. Offensive line, defensive line, we're going to spend all day on it. So let us begin with the defensive side of the ball. And so uh, I've actually divided up the defensive line into defensive tackles and edge rushers, basically interior and exterior guys. Uh, I didn't do the same thing with the offensive line because I feel like on the offensive line, that line's a little bit blurrier. Like there's more often a guy like Aviant Collins who kind of, he played guard a little, he played tackle a little, and it would be weird to like try to categorize him. And it doesn't really matter on the whole anyways if, you know, the, the Vikings tend to keep players that play both. But on the defensive line, there's fewer like Afadio Denebo situations. And even Afadio Denebo probably won't play defensive tackle anymore in Minnesota because that was like part of the deal for him choosing Minnesota over, you know, Green Bay or New Orleans. Go listen to his 90-man episode. It just kind of seems like whenever they make that decision to, like, play somebody at edge or at tackle, they tend to, like, stay there. There's very few players that rotate around or, or are kind of expected to back up at multiple positions like, you know, somebody like Jeremiah Searles would have been in the past. So anyways, let's talk first about uh, the edge rushers. And the whole defensive line is really, really difficult. So uh, just to lay out parameters, the the defensive line typically has nine players. I don't, I can't remember a time when they had 10. I don't know. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but they usually have some mix of either four defensive tackles and five defensive ends or the other way around, kind of depending on how the preseason goes. So I kind of see that there's like four DT spots, four edge spots, and then one kind of like swing spot that can be for just like whoever the best, the next best guy left over is. So what I'm going to do, this is like what the chopping block is for. Uh, if you missed yesterday's episode, go listen to it for more explanation, but basically an, an explanation of all the roster tiers. I'm not going to go over that every episode. Uh, but if, if, you know, I have, I'm not sure if there's going to be four or five edge rushers. So whoever I decide is like the fifth guy, whoever I'm predicting to place fifth, in the defensive uh, line, in the you know defensive tackle competition, is going to go on to a kind of like chopping line. We're basically going to put all of those like extraneous guys into a basket, and then kind of deal with it all at the end. Say, okay, how many roster spots are left over for the guys we've already like guaranteed to make the team, and then you know the we'll have like four roster spots and eight guys left over, and we'll kind of choose from there. And I kind of think that that better replicates how the decision making process in actual NFL front offices goes. So starting out, obviously you have uh, at the the edge rusher position, you have Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin and Steven Weatherly. I feel like those guys are, are guaranteed spots at the very least. Uh, I am going to put Daniil Hunter and, and Everson Griffin as de facto starters, and let's talk a little bit about this, because I, when I did the original roster tiers and I put Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin in the starter tier, meaning they basically aren't competing for their spot, a lot of people were like, wait, whoa, did you forget about Steven Weatherly? And uh, no, I just don't think that he realistically will challenge Everson Griffin for a starting spot. And I think there's a couple things about this. For one, when we're evaluating Everson Griffin, we cannot do that 
without also applying the context of his 2018 season. And he had a personal struggle with mental health. Go listen to his 90-man episode, too, for more information about that. But he had an off-field issue that affected his play. And I don't think there's a soul in the world that would disagree that his play was worse because of that. And if you don't believe that he is beyond that and you think that it will continue to affect his play, that's fine. I don't think that. Uh, and if you say, yeah, no, I think Stephen Weatherly will beat him because I don't think that he, I think that mental health issue is going to stick with him for the rest of his career. And, you know, if he does get over it, he'll be old by then or whatever. Then I, I guess that's fine. But that's not typically the take. I just kind of see uh, people just looking at Everson Griffin's play and just saying, oh, yeah, he declined. What more do you need to know? And And they just kind of ignore the context. And I just feel like you can never ignore that context when you're trying to project forward how somebody like Everson Griffin is going to play. If you theorize that, oh, now he's old, he's going to hit his age cliff and then it's over. I also disagree with that, but I guess that's okay. But that's like not the argument that I usually get. And I think a lot of people also overrate what Stephen Weatherly did in 2018. It was awesome for a backup and for a rotational player, but at at no point in Stephen Weatherly's time starting in 2018 did he outplay anything that Everson Griffin did in 2018. If you look at pressures, PFF grades, whatever measure you want to use, or honestly, I just watching tape, Everson Griffin was still a better edge rusher than Stephen Weatherly. The gap closed a lot because of extenuating circumstances and because of Stephen Weatherly's improvement, but Stephen Weatherly didn't surpass him, and I would be pretty surprised if this far removed and after a whole offseason to recover and be with his family and everything and, and all of the reports that you hear that Everson Griffin seems like his old self, like, I would be very, very shocked if that didn't translate to a, a recapturing of who he is on the field. So I'm putting Stephen Weatherly in, uh, in like, the backup tier, which basically means he's not at risk of, like, losing his roster spot or anything, but he's not realistically playing for a starting role. He's never going to be the first guy that they call on to be an edge rusher. Now, he is competing for more rotational snaps, and when I actually do the full 53-man roster, I'll find a better way to delineate that. But for now, it's just not that kind of position battle. So that brings us to the hard part. So we only have one more, like, guaranteed roster spot to give to a defensive end, and we got to choose between... Ade Aruna, Fadio Denebo, Tayshawn Bauer, and even Carter Schultz, who's a little bit of a wild card. If you remember, he's the AAF guy that was so good, and, and he is somebody that everywhere he's gone, whenever he's gotten an opportunity, he's dominated against lesser competition and has never really gotten the chance to prove himself against greater competition. So we earnestly have no idea how that's going to go. So I put all of those guys in the roster bubble tier, and then in the long shot tier, I have Henri St. Amour and Stacey Keeley, a couple of undrafted free agent rookies. There's just a lot of space in front of them. I don't have either of them making the team. So I got to like thin out the crowd here because there's four players and I only have one guaranteed spot and one chopping block spot to give out. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put uh, Ade Aruna on the practice squad. So here's the thing. He came in really, really raw last year and I wasn't sure about his roster odds and then he got hurt and it all became moot. So now he has to come back from that injury and prove that he's like learned more and improve his technique all while going through like physical rehab for that, that horrible injury. Like that's a tall order, and I feel like it's a safe bet to kind of uh, fade him and and put him on the practice squad because he still was, he, I mean, he was drafted as like a raw potential guy, and I don't think that the Vikings would give up on somebody just because he had, you know, he had to spend an offseason in rehab. I think he's a far more intriguing option next year and somebody that the Vikings are going to want to like retain the rights to. So I think they're going to stash him on the practice squad. 
and, you know, take their chances with him in 2020. So that leaves Odenabo, Bauer, and wildcard Carter, Carter Schultz. So let's talk a little bit about Carter Schultz. Like I said, everywhere he went, I mean, go listen to his 90-man episode. Everywhere he went, he really, really excelled. He excelled against third-teamers. He excelled against small school competition in college. He excelled in the AAF against, like, that level of competition. But it seemed like teams weren't very interested in, in testing him against higher levels of competition. So what I really, really want to see is... Carter Schultz against the twos. I want to see him go up against like Rashad Hill and see if he can win. But it seems it pro- he'll probably start really, really low on the depth chart and he'll go up against like Storm Norton and stuff. He'll probably dominate that. And then it's going to be up to the coaches to say, all right, let's, you know, let's bump you up a notch. Let's see if you can beat Riley Reef. You know, let's put you in a drill against like our one of our starters and see what happens. And that is where I don't really know what's going to happen. And I also don't even know if we're going to get that because he does have a reputation like a lot of like teams decided not to roster him and he ended up in the AAF. So, you know, if you're a coach, you're going like, well, maybe there was a reason for that. And I've also got all these other young guys that we actually drafted that I have to get a look at. And and reps are precious and few, you know, they're, they're a finite resources and their resource and there's not really enough of them to to give reps to everybody. And I feel like Carter Schultz could be a victim of that. So I'm actually going to cut Carter Schultz and I feel horrible about it because I'm rooting for him. I, I, I just am a sucker for these AAF guys. Uh, and, and I think that there's a reasonable chance that I'm wrong here, but there's always going to be a reasonable chance that I'm wrong. I'm really not sure what to do here. So that leaves me with Tayshaun Bauer and Efadi Odenabo. And here's the thing between those two. This is part three of that battle. Those three have battled it out since... 2017. And Tayshaun Bauer won the battle both times, sending Afadi Odenabo to the practice squad. But I feel like the fact that Odenabo is back and the fact that they were letting him play defensive end again, if you remember, he moved to defensive tackle. And that's kind of why I count that as like a win for Tayshaun Bauer, because like they were like, yeah, you're not even going to win. Go to defensive tackle where maybe he'll make the roster. And then he didn't anyways. But he was pretty good at defensive tackle and he was good enough to get more attention at, at defense. Like, I feel like he's underrated as a defensive end. And I like what I've seen from him in the little bit limited action that I have seen from him. And this is part three of this battle. If Afadio Denebo is ever going to win it, it's either going to be now or it's going to be never. And I think that the Vikings and the way that they've treated and handled this situation, I think it tells us something about their opinion of him. And I think we're going to see something from Afadio Denebo. So I'm putting Odenabo on the roster and I'm going to put Tayshaun Bauer on the chopping block and see what happens elsewhere on the defensive line. So uh, to recap, that's Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter, Stephen Weatherly, and Afadio Denebo as my four defensive ends, Tayshaun Bauer as a maybe fifth, and Adea Runa on the practice squad, and we're cutting everybody else. So I am going to step away to an ad break uh, because I'm way late for one again, and uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about the defensive tackles. I'll see you all in a second. Okay, welcome back. So let's talk about the big boys. Uh, So the Vikings have done something really weird lately, and it's like basically completely forgetting about the big nose tackle position. Uh, this is really weird, actually. This is something that, that uh, I, I noted last year. Uh, they really only had, like, Linval and Jaleel Johnson and David Perry, and those were their their three, like, nose tackle guys on the whole 90-man roster, and it turned out that all three of them made the team initially. David Perry left later, but initially all three of those people uh, made the team. This year, they only really have Linval Joseph and Jaleel Johnson as like big, large nose tackles. Everybody else, they they are favoring more undersized defensive tackles, essentially favoring quickness over size, which is a completely valid strategy. 
And for the roster and for these players, what it means is that Linval Joseph isn't going to have any competition again, so put him in the starter tier. And Jaleel Johnson is essentially going to be free to be that backup nose tackle, which you need to roster at least one, right, in case Linval Joseph gets hurt or he's gassed because he just returned another defensive touchdown. Uh, you know, you're going to have to roster those those two people. So I feel really good about Jaleel Johns- Johnson's roster odds. And of course, Linval Joseph is in the starter tier. And then you have the three-tech battle where it actually is interesting. So I'm going to say that Shamar Stefan is in the starter tier. A lot of people disagree with me. And I know that a lot of people think like, oh, you know, somebody could totally come up and take that job from him. But I'm looking at the contract that the Vikings gave him. And I think that sends us all a message that they expect Shamar Stefan to be a starter in the Vikings lineup. Like, I, I think they expect him to be the guy, which he hasn't been yet, and it'll be real interesting to see how that works out. I maintain my doubts, uh, but I think in terms of, like, position battles, they paid him a contract like they don't expect him to really be competing with, like, Hercules Mata'afa, random wild cards, or, you know, sixth-round draft picks. So I'm putting him in the starter tier, but like I've said before, the uh, the roster tiers thing is going to be a living document. So if I do see he's suddenly taking second team reps and somebody else is splitting reps with him, even though he's perfectly healthy, I am, I will move him and, and we'll move on from there. But for now, I, I'm kind of guessing that he's going to be the guy taking the first team reps and everything else is going to be uh, battles for those backup positions. So let's talk about the, the rest of our contestants here. Uh, we're going to kind of move Jaleel Johnson to the side and kind of say he's going to get a job based on being a nose tackle and maybe he'll play some three tech, but he'll probably just be a nose. And otherwise you have Jalen Holmes, who's put on some weight and seems to be a dedicated three technique now. You have Armin Watts, the sixth round draft pick, and you have Hercules Mata'afa, who is like a linebacker sized defensive tackle, but he's got all the quickness in the world. And he's kind of been a, a superstar of like minicamp and OTAs for whatever that's worth with no pads on and stuff. Uh, you know, he's, but he's shown out and, and, and he's getting a lot of hype. He's got me excited, which is probably ill-advised, but whatever. I, I don't care. He's awesome. And then you have Curtis Cothran who made the, uh, practice squad last year as an undrafted free agent and Tito Odenabo, brother of Afadi, who is an undrafted free agent this year. Uh, I have both those last two in the long shot tier, and I have uh, uh, Jalen Holmes, Armin Watts, and Hercules Mata'afa all in the roster bubble tier, because I think there's a competition between the three of them, and the lowest of them goes home. So I think there's three roster spots we can pretty safely hand out to Linval Joseph, Shamar Stefan, and Jaleel Johnson for the aforementioned reasons. Uh, And then we basically have the same kind of dilemma that we had with the edge rushers. You have Jalen Holmes, Hercules Mata'afa, and Armin Watts, and between them you have one guaranteed roster spot and one chopping block spot, because they have kept five defensive tackles in the past, so that's absolutely a possibility, but that fifth person is going to probably have to earn it over somebody in a different position group. So, like, how do we go about parsing this at all? So, uh, let's talk first about Armin Watts. If you remember from his kind of story and from his draft coverage and stuff, his whole deal was that he had a lot of trouble cracking the lineup until he did finally as a as a senior or maybe it was a junior I'm, I'm having trouble remembering but when he finally did in his final year he completely exploded and was like suddenly a superstar but he had a lot of time like adjusting to college and I'm kind of a little bit worried that he's gonna have a, a, another trouble with like the adjustment the transition and if that was a, tr- a problem for him before then I'm a little bit worried about his odds against somebody like Jalen Holmes who has you know is he's having kind of a similar struggle but he's a year into it and somebody like a total wild card like Hercules Mata'afa so I also think that as like a sixth round rookie you can safely kind of stash him on the practice squad develop him and see what you get in 2020 so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut Armin Watts. I'm going to put him on the practice squad. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts about when people say like, oh, but but what if he gets poached? I don't think people are going to poach 
uh, you know, late round draft picks that don't make the team their rookie year very often. And it doesn't happen very often because you have to give up a 53 man roster spot. You know, everybody else is going through that same, uh, that same exercise. So if we, you know, we do all this and, and then you kind of have to ask yourself, all right, are you going to cut like Ifadio Denebo to go get somebody else's runoff? Like it usually doesn't happen. So I feel safe putting, uh, Armin Watts on, on the practice squad. And then we're, uh, basically battling out between Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa. And this one is wild and I have no idea what's going to happen because it's Hercules Mata'afa. He's way undersized. He's probably about maxed out. I think he's playing at like 280 or something now, and it's probably maxed out. That's reasonable three technique size, but still very much on the low end. And that doesn't really matter. It's never mattered in his college career. I'm kind of a believer that that size is a bit overrated and the like distinct delineations between like how big a certain player should be at a certain position is a little overrated. It's like if he can play, he can play. And I feel like Hercules Mata'afa can play. And the fact that he just doesn't look like we are typically used to seeing defensive tackles look is probably something we're worrying too much about. And add to that that the Vikings seem to be okay with defensive tackles being undersized in the first place. So the fact that it made him fall all the way out of the draft, like it bothered the NFL as a whole a lot more than I think it bothers the Vikings specifically. So I think they're very much willing to look past that and just let their play do the talking. And if we're doing that, then Hercules Mata'afa is ahead of Jalen Holmes right now. Jalen Holmes has not splashed in the way that Hercules Mata'afa is so far very, very early in the process again. Uh, But if we're just looking at that evidence, then I think that Hercules Mata'afa kind of has the advantage here. The only thing is that Jalen Holmes is a fourth round pick from just a year ago, and you still have a little bit of, I guess, like street cred, a little bit of clout based on that. And so I don't know if the Vikings have the stones to cut him. I mean, they cut Willie Beavers, though, when he was bad. So like, I guess it'll be okay. Uh, so this is, this is what you get when you get me like talking through this in, in real time where I actually don't know what the answer is. I think I'm going to go with Hercules Mata'afa and that would be an upset, right? He's an undrafted free agent from last year that got hurt and is coming back. Like this is, this is, you know, I, I just cut Adearuna who had more, I guess, clout, quote unquote, more momentum, uh, and got hurt and is coming back. I just cut him, but I'm not cutting Hercules Mata'afa, but I, I don't know. I just have a feeling that he's going to play really well and that the Vikings aren't going to care that he's undersized. So I'm going to roster Hercules Mata'afa, and I'm going to put Jalen Holmes on the chopping block, and we'll deal with him later. So again, I am way late for the second ad break. I'm getting real bad at this. Uh, But we will talk about the offensive line for the rest of the show. I'll see you all in a second. All right, welcome back. Gotta go fast. So let's talk about the offensive line. So luckily with the line, we don't have to talk about a lot of starting position battles, which is kind of a nice place to be, I guess, in terms of covering it. I kind of am always okay with competition, though. Uh, You know, I like pushing the starters a little bit and having having a little bit of better depth, and I am worried about that, but that's not what this is about. This is about breaking down who's going to make the team, who's going to be a starter, and in terms of the latter question, there is very little wiggle room. Riley Reef's going to be the left tackle, Pat Elfline's going to be the left guard, Bradbury's going to be the center, Josh Klein is going to be the right guard, and Brian O'Neill is going to be the right tackle. Now, on the right side, there is at least a little bit of a question mark, right? There's a chance Drew Samia comes in and is ready way faster than I anticipate him to be. I thought he's he's coming out of college a little bit raw. I love his potential and his ability, but I think it is just going to take a little bit of time for him to uh, come to speed. He's got to go into the crockpot a little bit, if you will. Uh, and, and I don't think that there's any shame in, you know, letting Josh Klein play like the starting contract that the Vikings gave him. Like he is absolutely a starting quality guard. And I don't think that we like need to force a competition upon him and make him earn a spot. 
Um, so I, I think that the starting five is very much set. Now, with Brian O'Neill and Rashad Hill, that was a battle last year. More of a battle than we thought it was, because I said the same thing about Brian O'Neill last year that I'm saying about Drew Samia this year. I was wrong last year. Maybe I'm wrong this year. That would be awesome, honestly. I would love that. But they really were competing at right tackle, and when Rashad Hill went down and Brian O'Neill came in and played well, the result of that competition flipped, which is something that does happen midseason sometimes, and I think that it's kind of awesome. Well, not the injury, at least, but, you know, the the ascension midseason, the surprise, I'm good kind of thing. But I do think that this year there might be a, a, a formal competition, not like in spirit, not really a competition, but there might be a chance that like, hey, if Rashad Hill outplays Brian O'Neill, he won't. But if he if he does, yeah, Rashad Hill would maybe get the right tackle spot again. Uh, I don't think that there's anything preventing that except for the actual quality play of the two people. I would never predict that in a million years though, so Brian O'Neill starting right tackle, let's go. So then there's Drew Samia. Uh, I, I think that even if he plays poorly, he has enough ceiling and potential to uh, pretty much be guaranteed a roster spot. So I put him in the backup tier, and I put Rashad Hill in the backup tier as well. He got that that uh, tender contract and, and the, uh, the restricted free agent deal, and that to me tells me that the Vikings are committed to keeping him as a depth piece. So those two guys go in the backup tier. I don't think that they're worrying about their roster spot or anything. And then you have two or three roster spots left between the following. And I've got all these guys in the roster bubble tier. Dakota Dozier, Brett Jones, Oli Udo, Danny Isadora... Uh, Aviant Collins and Cornelius Edison. So this is going to be really difficult to parse out. But here's what I think you do need. I think you need at least one guy that can play tackle and one guy that can play interior. And and like, because you have a, a, a swing tackle in Rashad Hill and you have an interior backup in Drew Samia. I think you need a solid interior backup that's like ready to play in the event of injury and is less, you know, a guy for the future. I think that that might be Dakota Dozier or Brett Jones or somebody, you know, more veteran. And I think you need the opposite at tackle. You have that veteran presence, the guy that can step in and play at least serviceably as a backup but I want somebody with a lot of uh with a lot more like potential so let's talk about that last thing because that's basically Oli Udo right he's very raw but hyper athletic I mean he's like this total jock and I like his potential but again he very much like Drew Samia but to a greater extreme has to cook a little bit before he's ready to play now we won't need him to do that and I think he'll be kind of in a in a pseudo competition with Rashad Hill for that swing tackle job and if he you know like Brian O'Neill is ready way faster than we thought although he's way rawer than uh than Brian O'Neill ever was but you know if he's ready faster than we thought and he picks it up really quickly uh, then he might replace Rashad Hill as the swing tackle. I really don't think that's going to happen. If you go listen to his 90-man episode, uh, he's somebody that just doesn't quite have the experience. I mean, he just needs to get, like, years under his belt, uh, which means that I don't think he's going to play very well in the preseason, and I think you are going to be able to safely cut him and stash him on the practice squad if you want, and then you can spend the rest of your roster spots on interior linemen backups and competition and stuff where things are a little bit muddier. And, of course, if there is an injury, you can always promote him from the practice squad, and then you have, like, a guy that's at least capable of playing tackle there. So elsewhere in that, like, pseudo-tackle spot, there's Aviant Collins and Storm Norton, and I kind of think that's it in terms of guys that are, like, specifically there to play on the exterior of the line, which is, like, a lot less competition than we're used to seeing. I mean, Storm Norton never really challenges everybody, and it's why this year I'm actually cutting him just outright. I think he's been on the practice squad for long enough. If we don't see it now, we're not going to see it, and I think he would have to, like, 
earn that roster spot over somebody like a Brett Jones or like another interior lineman that's a little bit more veteran. And I just don't think he has that ability. I think we've seen what we can see from him and it's something that is limited. And and I just don't think that spending a roster spot on that really gets you anywhere except for like, yeah, I guess I could have like replacement level play if three tackles go. It's just like not really worth it to play around that just to have Storm Norton play tackle in that event. So I'm cutting Storm Norton and that leaves us with Aviant Collins, who's really the only guy left able to like actually play tackle in the event that you have to get down to it. And I actually think he could push Rashad Hill. He was okay at tackle when he played that, uh, I think it was in 2017, and then he got hurt for the 2018 season, and they moved him to guard, which was a catastrophe. Here's the thing about Avion Collins. He is not a flexible backup. I think he is a tackle and nothing else. And he does have very limited size. Again, like with Hercules Mata'afa, I think that's a little overrated. I think he can play tackle just fine in spite of his size. Uh, like, I think he, he has, like, enough athleticism to make it work. And I think for him, the path to the roster is essentially saying, I'm good enough at tackle where you don't need to keep both Dakota Dozier and Brett Jones. Like, to give you an excuse to not keep redundant interior offensive linemen, I guess is the way that I'll say that. Because the amount of interior offensive linemen that you need to keep, you've already got Drew Samia. You really just need one good swing backup that can kind of fill in in the event that, like, Bradbury or Elfline or somebody goes down. And then maybe somebody stashed on the practice squad uh, to kind of, fit, you know, fill backfill it so that you're prepared in the event of two injuries. And I don't think that that's t- that tall of an order for Aviant Collins. So I'm putting Aviant Collins in the 53-man roster. I think he surprised everybody by making it in 2017, and I think he's here to stay, at least for now. So that's the tackle spot. So let's talk about this interior spot, because it is filled to the brim with competition. This is one of the most wide-open and interesting competitions for me. It's up there with wide receiver three for me, like the swing interior offensive lineman backup. And it's somebody that, Lord knows, we know he's going to play. We know somebody is going to get hurt. We just are never going to be that lucky. So first, let's talk about Brett Jones and Cornelius Edison, who both are kind of the same guy to me. They're both guys who are probably best as guards can play center uh, and guys who can't climb to the second level but can pass block pretty well. I think that describes both players and I think Brett Jones is somebody who can at least climb to the second level well enough to make a team. Cornelius Edison had all the chance in the world to make a team and he was so bad at climbing to the second level that they traded for Brett Jones. And, and I think like bringing back Cornelius Edison and putting him on the practice squad and stuff was really just a depth move. And I kind of feel like if Cornelius Edison could have made a team in spite of his second level issues, they wouldn't have traded a draft pick for Brett Jones. So I'm going to cut Cornelius Edison. I really like his pass blocking ability. And, and it's a shame because I think you should care more about that than like second level zone run blocking. But that's not the way the Vikings are going to think about this. And so I just don't think I, d- I don't see a path for Cornelius Edison to this roster unless he drastically improves uh, that particular facet of his game. And it is something that I'm going to keep an eye on because if he does improve it and I see him do it in the first couple of preseason games, I'm totally changing my mind on this. So there's also Dakota Dozier and Danny Isadora. This is also very difficult. Those guys are a lot more like kind of solid all around, but low ceiling type of guys. Um, I, I think that Danny Isadora for one, like I think we've seen enough from him. I hate to say it because he was a draft pick and, and people were kind of excited about him for a while. Uh, but I think that there's more veteran players, there's more veteran presences and guys that have actually like played decently in starting roles. The one time or the, the couple of times that Danny Isidore has actually taken the field, he's been a huge mess. And uh, I, I think that that is going to define him to a point where we would have to see really some breakout play from him in the preseason for him to overcome that stigma. And I, I don't foresee that. So I'm going to uh, place Danny Isidora aside for now. 
Uh, and that leaves us with Dakota Dozier and Brett Jones. Oh, and uh, John Kenoy, he is the uh, the small school undrafted free agent. Uh, I, I don't see him overcoming this whole like glut of interior offensive linemen. I think it's an unlucky landing spot for him. I'm going to cut him as well. So Dakota Dozier and Brett Jones for this spot. I'm taking the guy who can get to a second level and who started for the Jets in a couple games and actually put out some reasonable tape. I, I just think Dakota Dozier is a step above all these guys, uh, and so I'm actually giving him the nod for the, the roster spot. Uh, so there's actually a chopping block spot uh, up for grabs right now, and I think it's between Danny Isidore for that and Brett Jones. Um, and, and I think that Brett Jones and Danny Isidore, like Danny Isidore has only ever played right guard. And uh, Brett Jones has a little bit more uh, all-around potential. And when you're talking about these kind of these chopping block spots, which are these final spots, this is, you know, I am going to keep a 10th offensive lineman instead of, uh, uh, you know, sixth wide receiver or instead of a fourth tight end or whatever. So that means that that guy has to be actually like worth a roster spot on his own, not just he is the eighth best guy and you're going to keep that many. So I, I feel like you have to have something a little bit more special about you, and and Brett Jones's versatility kind of does that for me. So I'm going to put Brett Jones in the chopping block, and I'm sorry, Danny Isadora, it's time. Uh, you know, good luck in your next venture, but I, I just think that we have seen enough of him in the spot duty that he has played where I just don't believe in it. So to recap, you have your five starters, uh, Reef, O'Neal, Elfline, Bradbury, and Klein. Uh, as backups, you have Samia, Hill, Dozier, and Collins. Uh, you have Oli Udo going on the practice squad, and we have Brett Jones going in the chopping block, and we'll deal with him later. So that is my recap of the trenches. I'm sure I'm way over time. I'm really sorry for the long podcast, but hey, it's the trenches. We got to care about that, right? Uh, I will see you all tomorrow. We are going to talk about the tight ends, the safeties, and the linebackers, uh, and uh, that'll that'll all be very fun. And then on Thursday, we'll do the corners, the specialists, and the chopping block and kind of wrap everything up. So that is going to do it for Locked on Vikings for today. Thank you all so much for hanging out for a longer episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is available on any podcast app or podcast source that you enjoy and prefer. And if you don't enjoy any of those, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. You don't have to lift a finger. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, skull.